In this episode, you will discover how to leverage authentic persuasion, how shifting, how to shift from an order taker to become a deal maker, and why process is very important for sales. My guest today is Jason Cutter. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Mustafa. Excited Great to be here. To you and we are talking about authentic persuasion and scalability. Um. Let me do the proper introduction, Jason, and we're going to dive into a very interesting conversation about sales and scalability and process and everything around sales, as Jason is a sales professional. Jason Cutter, CEO of Cutter Consulting Group, is a mindset and scalability expert. Even though he didn't have a sales upbringing and background, he has a bachelor's degree in marine biology, which is like farthest from sales. <laughs> he knows what it takes to be successful in sales and build profitable teams. His books, podcasts, and work with clients are focused on helping close more deals, make more money, and produce scalable scalable results. Welcome, Jason. Let's do it. All right. Uh, where about are you? Uh, I am in Southwest Florida in the Fort Myers well, area. And what's it like out there right now? <laughs> right now, in the beginning part of December, I think it's about 82 degrees outside, uh, starting to cool down. The evenings are in the in the in the 60s, which is nice. You can almost leave the windows open at night, uh, and then close them back up before the AC starts kicking in in the uh, in the mid morning. It's definitely it's definitely weird. I've been here about a year and a half, and it's weird to get into the holiday spirit when literally you know could go to the beach or to the pool today yeah you said that was how many degrees 88 uh, it's like 80 it's probably i think it's like 82 83 degrees today oh yeah. my god dude we walk around in yeah. shorts with that. you could yeah like, <laughs> I, okay so where i live in calgary like yesterday was minus 32 degrees celsius let me <laughs> let me just give you the that's minus 25 five fahrenheit's holy crap okay? no thanks so up here when it's like minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit, Celsius, yeah. when it gets to zero Celsius, you'll see boys and girls walking around in shirts. Yeah. And like five above zero freezing, they'll be sitting on porches outside on the sidewalk drinking beer. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, it just feels so nice relative. Last yeah, week I was in, in Salt minus... Lake City and, and you could see like I, I somebody told me this and you could see like the locals who live there and are from that area. And it was like when i landed it was like 16 or 26 feels like 18 but you just see people with a jacket with a, a hat and then shorts and they're just like whatever it's only like 30 degrees outside like yeah whatever. i saw so. dude i saw that yesterday it was like literally minus 32. i walked from the parking lot to walmart and i was yeah. freezing like my fingers <laughs> were falling and there's this dude right there's this fat dude walking around in shorts his skin exposed and t-shirts yeah. And he was yeah. so nice and calm. And I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> right? It's so anyway, yeah. let's dive into this. Jason, what is your story? Uh, well, um, you know, I I focus on helping salespeople and sales teams, uh, especially as a non-pure salesperson, right? Like I'm not a natural born salespeople. A lot of people think that or they hear me speak and they think like I've just always been in sales. Um, but I didn't get my first sales role, my professional sales role until I was 27. And it was the mortgage business in, in the US. And, and I was in Washington State and it was 2002. And it was when real estate was going crazy, like we just had, you know, over the last couple of years in real estate. And, um, you know, it's uh, let me fix the camera. It, it uh, was easy, right? We were pure order takers and we were just basically just helping people out, but we weren't necessarily using any sales skills. Uh, so I didn't actually learn any sales skills. Um, but prior to that, I'd never wanted to be in sales. I'm the product of two loving, wonderful parents who are still together to this day. And both of them are very analytical where, you know, my mom was in banking and then financial services and, and whatnot throughout her career until she retired. And my dad uh, started out in engineering and then project management and leadership until he retired. Uh, and so I come from two analytical parents, not 
entrepreneurs, not salespeople. In fact, my mom, the banker, hates salespeople. She still hates the pure salespeople that just use all the old school tactics. Uh, and so I was raised that way. And I was also a shy, awkward, left out, bullied child that didn't fit in. I was, I'm an only child. And, uh, you know, I just kind of like didn't really fit in anywhere. And really the last thing I ever wanted to do was deal with people. Like my first jobs were paper route and washing dishes, you know, back of the house type of stuff, but never up front. Um, such that, like I joke about all the time where I got my bachelor's degree in marine biology, spent a few years tagging sharks and literally at the time, like standing on a boat surrounded by great white sharks. At one point, one day we were surrounded by three great white sharks. Um, that was still a safer and smarter career choice than anything to do with humans in my mind, because I'm like, uh, me and people don't really get along and I'm not a real fan of people. And um, so life took me many different ways. And then eventually I figured out I was good with people and helping people and problem solving, fell into sales. Uh, and then over the past 20 plus years, in the jobs that I've had, which then escalated to leadership, where it was like, hey, this person's been fired, now you're in charge. Uh, I've never received a moment of sales training officially at any company I've ever been at. I've never received a moment of training where they said, here's the script, here's the process, here's how to overcome objections, here's how to do any of it. They just always assume that I knew what I was doing. And so I was the one who had to figure it out. Uh, and so it's all been a process. And I basically took that, put it into my book. Uh, and then the consulting and everything that I do is to help those people who maybe they're not a natural born salesperson, which we could argue and debate. They know sales is important. It's necessary. Maybe they fell into the role or they have a company where they know they need sales, um, but they think sales is gross and dirty, uh, which I think it is in the old school way. And I want to help people become sales professionals and realize there's a very important balance in the middle between order takers and you know old school salespeople. Love it. So what do you do these days and who do you serve? What was that? What do you do these days and who do you serve? So it's interesting because of what I focus on, I know that it's so fundamental. What I help salespeople and teams with is the fundamentals of sales, starting with themselves, right? So the book is called Selling with Authentic Persuasion. The authentic piece is partially and mostly the salesperson. And what do they want? Who are they? How do they show up? Uh, what's, you know, what are their strengths? What are the traits for them to be successful? Um, and then the persuasion piece is all about helping someone move forward, what their, what that potential customer is afraid of, what they're worried about, what they're looking for, what they're craving from a salesperson, and then how to marry that up with what a sales professional should be doing. And then on the business side, it's the scalability. It's the fundamental systems, processes. I mentioned it earlier, but things like scripts, which salespeople, you know, want to argue and fight against scripts. And, you know, and, and I love to have that debate with them. But if you want to have a repeatable process, you have to have, you know, a repeatable system. And so I have clients across all different industries. And I have over the last four years, uh, I serve companies where the fundamental is it's a company where from the top down, they have an open-minded company culture and they're looking to grow, they're looking to change, or they're looking to just improve and do better and better. They might be winning already and they just want to win more, or they might be just a mess or they have so many holes in the process they want to improve. Um, so I have, you know, business to consumer, business to business, lead generation overseas to, you know, enterprise level 18 month sales cycle clients and everything in between. Because as I tell everyone, it's not B2C business to consumer. It's not B2B business to business. It's H to H. It's human to human. Um, Love it. No matter what you're selling and who you're selling it to, it's to another human. And so you have to understand them and you. Love it. So you talked about scripts and how some people want to fight scripts. Should, <laughs> should we should we have scripts or should we not? What's your take on that? Uh, I 100% think and know that scripts are important. Now, it, when people think of scripts, what they think about is my boss gave me this piece of paper and they're making me read it and I'm going to read it like a robot. And it's going to take all my personality away and my freedom to do what I do best, air quotes, for people who might be listening to this, right? Because a salesperson that goes into sales thinks, oh, my job is to just talk people into things because that's what I do uh, and talk a lot. And so I think that's 
incorrect and not what the world needs and what they're looking for. And so a script is so important. And the thing is, is that everybody in sales is scripted. Even if they don't want to use a script, there's things they say over and over every time, if they're a professional, where they just repeat it. It might not be written, but they say it the same way over and over again. The key is to have a script so you do that. Now, if you've done it for a long enough time, then you can use bullet points and guidelines. But if you're new in sales, you got to have a script. And here's the big thing, Mustafa, is most people blame the script. They think scripts make you a robot and make you terrible and nobody wants to hear you read a script. If you've ever been to a live performance of a Broadway play or theater or your kids like, you know, classroom play, uh, if you've ever watched a movie, if you've ever watched a TV show, all of that stuff is scripted. The problem is not the script. The problem is the person using the script and reading the script. If you say yeah. read a script and sound like a robot, that's because you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you haven't practiced. Yeah, you haven't practiced. You're not living it. You're not embodying it. You're not understanding the value of the script as the tool. Yeah. And and you're you're fighting it is what I've always found. Yeah, and I think a couple other things come to mind is that one is attitude. You're like just going about this whole thing with the wrong attitude and the intention is wrong. And... Hmm. I always think like people, when they're starting out, they need a script. Yeah. And, and once, once they learn it, you could create your own script and then you don't have to think about worry about it. But in the beginning, you definitely have to have a script. And, and yeah. here's the big thing with that when you're in the beginning and if you're, a prof if you've done it for a while and we can talk about slumps and why they happen if you want. Um, but the key is, is that you've got to have a repeatable process. What yeah. happens a lot of times is people are new in a, in sales role. They have a script, they use the script, it works enough. Then they take the training wheels off and then they just freestyle their way into and out of sales. The problem is, is that if you ever hit a slump or you don't know why you're not closing deals or your results aren't coming in. You don't have a standard to go back to and say, well, this isn't working, right? Like if I go to the gym, every time I go to the gym, I just do a different random exercise in a different random way. However, I'm feeling that day, I'm probably not going to see long-term gains or results, but I, I could blame the gym and say, well, this gym is broken and why did I sign up? This is a terrible gym. Or I could look at the fact that I'm literally just freestyling every day at the gym and hoping for expected high level repeatable results. Absolutely. 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 I, I love your, 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 um, uh, you mentioned of having a, a repeatable process that others can, uh, replicate and copy and get the similar results after a bit of practice and, you know, all that. Love it. And we're, we're going to talk about systems for sure. Um, I want to deal with a kind of an elephant in the room about sales. And that is, why do people hate to sell and why do they hate, hate some people hate salespeople? What is the deal with that? <laughs> I, I think, I think they're both related. The answer is the same. It's that by the time anybody has gone into a professional sales role, right? I'm not talking like working at the mall selling shoes or t-shirts. I'm talking like a professional sales role where the expectation quota and everything is based on sales. They have had a negative experience at the hands of a gross salesperson, right? Whatever that means to you, but it's been gross. You've either run away and been thankful that you didn't sign up or buy from them, or you did buy and you regretted it and you feel embarrassed even to this day. And you're like, that was terrible. Or if it hasn't happened to you, because sometimes people enter in sales young, uh, you've had a family member that's gone through that and you've watched them be embarrassed or angry. Uh, you've heard stories, you've watched Boiler Room, you watched Wolf of Wall Street, um, you've watched Mad Men, you've watched any kind of show where you're just like, wow, that is gross and terrible. Then what happens is you enter into sales and you vow. These are the people who you know see that as a negative, which I hope most people would, but they don't. Um, is they go into sales and they go, I if that sales, I don't want to be in sales, or if I am in sales, I'm not going to do that, right? I don't want to cross the line, and I don't want to be that kind of person. And I vow, basic like the golden rule, I'm going to do under onto others as I want to be done to me. I'm just not going to do terrible things to other people for the sake of closing deals. And so what happens is people see that sales, air quotes, is this thing that is manipulation and tricks and games and pressure and sometimes charisma and storytelling and like all of these things that may not benefit 
the actual buyer. And so people attribute sales to that and then say, sales is gross. Sales is terrible. It's why sales, most people think it's a dirty word. It's why so many companies don't use sales in the title of their salespeople because they want to hide the fact that that person's a salesperson. For yeah. example, what is an exa account executive? They don't have any accounts. They're not executing on accounts right? Account They're manager. Terrible. Now we have accounts. Account executive. You, you don't have any accounts. You're a salesperson. But companies love to call them account executives to hide the fact that it's a salesperson coming after somebody because sales is seen as just such a negative thing. Absolutely. Or maybe an account manager or sales manager would be maybe closer, you know, maybe, are, you know, and, and, and it's just interesting how companies will do that. And, and, and it's unfortunate. And there's reasons why that's just the way it is. Um, and it's a tough one to change. Speaking of uh, manipulating and persuasion, I think part of the reason that people hate sales is because they're all themselves selling and persuading and man manipulating each other all day long. Right? It's like it's in our nature. We're like selling all day long. And when someone comes to sell to us, we're like, oh, I hate doing that because I want to be selling you, not you selling me. And so that, <laughs> I think that's part of the reason. Maybe. I mean, you know, what's interesting is that the, the people who like sales and like the old school sales style, they will always say like, oh, I love when someone tries to sell to me because they they usually have just a high level of confrontation. So they're OK saying no. And they love messing with people. And maybe they love like prank phone calls because they just love like the battle. And so they like when someone tries to sell to them because they know they're going to say no. Other people, they're just like it's tough for them to say no or they feel bad and they don't like being harassed or you know, followed up with. And so they'd rather not even start a sales conversation. Absolutely. Um, what is your definition or the dif difference between a salesperson and an order taker? So the big thing is with an order taker, they are closing the easy sales. They are maybe not asking for the sale, which we can debate that. I think you shouldn't be asking for the sale anyway, but that's a different topic. Um, they typically rely on rapport and relationship building and empathy and trust as the factor that's going to carry them across the line on their sales or enrollments, right? If so, like Bob Berg's advice is people will buy from people they know, like, and trust, and they lean too heavily on that. It's like, hey, if you know, like, and trust me, you'll buy from me, right? Like, hopefully. Um, the the real proof is in the metrics, is in their results. Um, when I look at any company's pipeline, when I look at the the closing percentage in the sales stats, I can identify the the order takers because they're closing the lowest amount and they're closing the easy ones. And you can always close some deals, right? Like if the company is expecting 20, 25% closing, you can always close 10%, right? That's easy. Those are the people who are ready to go, have their card in their hand. Ready, you know, they got everything approved and, and it's just done. The rest of it takes some persuasion skills. Now, again, here's the big thing. If anyone's triggered or upset, it's not a negative thing. This isn't like a, a scarlet letter that's stamped forever. If you find yourself being an order taker, typically what happens, it's just because either you think sales is gross, like we were talking about, and or your company has completely failed you and isn't giving you any training and just hired you, threw you out there and said, go sell stuff and let us know how it goes, and you just don't know. You don't know how to be a salesperson and how to be a sales professional. A sales professional, on the other hand, understands that it is their duty and responsibility to help the right people move forward, and they persuade and, and have those conversations around or from that place of, like, imagine a doctor does an exam, realizes somebody has a brain tumor. They're not going to be like, hey, if this is something you want to get taken care of, we're, we're doing a special by the end of the, the year, and uh, you can get 10% off, like, you know, if we, if we do this by the end of this month, like, no, they have a professional uh, oath that they took and they will move people forward doing whatever it takes within their code of ethics. Um, and a sales professional sees that as the same way for themselves. Absolutely. You talked about um, uh, persuasion skills and that salespeople should have persuasion skills. What is your definition of that? And how should one person, business owner or salesperson become, learn and become better with persuasion? 
I think it's a couple things. One is there's a lot of um, wordsmithing and word preferences that people have. Some people love uh, influence and they hate persuasion. Some people think persuasion is like manipulation. It's just like some people don't like authenticity. They prefer transparency. And there's there's all kinds of reasons. It's really the intent. When I wrote my book, the biggest focus I had in the section that was about persuasion was positive persuasion because the definition of persuasion is not clear. Manipulation is very clear. Manipulation is something I'm doing to something else for my gain, right? We manipulate wood into a kitchen table, right? The wood doesn't have a choice. Persuasion is just, it could go either way. So it to me, it's all about positive intent. When your positive intent is there and you want to persuade somebody, the first key before you can get into the persuasion mode is you have to make sure that it's somebody you can help and there's going to be value right? Is do they have a square peg problem or a square peg goal? And then do you have a square peg solution? Once you do, you now owe it to them to leave them in a better place by persuading them. Now, what are you persuading? Why are you persuading? And why is that necessary, especially to be a sales professional? Well, the key is, is that anytime somebody is not a customer of yours, they fear one thing. And a lot of times salespeople want to argue and debate all the things they're afraid of and all the strategies. doesn't matter. There's one thing that that human is afraid of, and it's change. Change in our primal part of our brain, the amygdala, signals danger, and danger equals death in that survival mode from a couple hundred thousand years ago. Like making the wrong choice would kill you, so don't make the wrong choice. Best thing to do is just make the ones that you always know right? Always pick the, the things that you know. And so what you're up against is eons of survival mechanisms and fear of change. So what you have to do is persuade somebody. Once you know that you can help them and get them to a better place, you have to persuade them outside of their comfort zone, make them feel safe enough to embrace change and see that that's more valuable to them than being stuck in their comfort zone, where it's either painful or not where they want to be with their goals. Love it. Love it. What, what are, what do you have some, what are some of your tips or maybe suggestions for making people feel safe and maybe open up to this change that they, they must go through? I think the, the first thing is with safe, it's an analogy I use, which is successful at fear elimination. It's really the one thing I tell salespeople. That's your one job. Sometimes that happens in five minutes. Sometimes it takes months or years, but your one job is to help someone feel safe, right? Successful at fear elimination. How you do that, like I have built a process of seeing it work in all the industries I was in before consulting and now consulting, seeing it across, like I said, a wide range of industries where it's using what I have put together and built as the model, which is authentic persuasion pathway. And the fundamentals are that is you want to move somebody outside of their comfort zone to, to feel safe. You have to build rapport. You have to have empathy and then get to the root of where they're at. Then you need to build trust. Then you have to give them hope, which is your solution. And then you have to have urgency, which is typically the time is now. Here's the big thing with that. And I do a lot of trainings and, and work with a lot of teams on putting that together, understanding it, and then building their processes around it, is those things have to be done in order. The problem with most salespeople is they think their job is to build trust, get people to like them. And so they just start talking about themselves and selling themselves and selling their company and talking about how amazing they are and how amazing their company is and all the great things that are going to happen. And they talk about features and benefits. The problem is nobody cares. Nobody cares about that in the beginning right? They care about that at some point, but not in the beginning. And so nobody, I'm not going to trust you if you just talk about yourself. Just like if, if, if you know, if you're in a, a personal relationship, like you meet somebody just at random and you, you just start talking to somebody and all they do is spend the first five minutes, 10 minutes talking about themselves and how amazing they are. You're not going to like or trust them. That's going to be really weird. But that's what salespeople try to do all the time. And it just, it doesn't work. Yeah, I see a lot of people talking about, like you said, how awesome they are and how awesome how awesome the product is, and it it, mm -hmm. it has five buttons, and each button does a different type of dance for you, and mm -hmm. and uh, you know, <laughs> the, yeah, the person, and it doesn't it doesn't work right, and that's what the default mode is. People in sales just go on autopilot and think that they are the hero of the story. Here's the fundamentals, right? Here's the here's the big thing, Mustafa, is that most people. Well, I'll, what I'll say, I'll, let me take that back. 
everybody as humans thinks they are the hero of the story, right? We all think we're the center of the universe. It's the human condition, which is okay. That's fine. That's how we've dominated this planet. That's how we've survived. That's great. That's okay. But the problem is, is that if you as a salesperson come at other people as the hero, they think they're the hero. They have to decide, will they let you be the hero or are you the villain or are you the sidekick? Um, and I do a lot of mindset training on that is to understand like your job is not to be the hero. Your job is to be the guide in the story of your prospect's mind and help them forward. You, it's not about you. It needs to be nothing about you um, or as little about you as possible. And that's really hard. People who gravitate to sales think it's all about them. That's why they're in sales, because they're great at talking people into things and out of things or whatever. So do you then turn the table and mostly talk about them or do you get them to talk about them what's the best way to build trust and rapport uh the best way is first actually care about people and i say that uh and it might sound like sarcastic or joking but it's so true because i see so many people in sales who just care about the money just there to make money they don't necessarily care what the product is they don't know if it's valuable or not and they don't really care what happens to people they're just there in sales and again that's i think what gives sales such a bad connotation in the world for the rest of us as consumers. So the biggest thing you can do is actually care. And then the second thing is get that other person talking, ask lots of questions, be curious, be genuinely curious about that other person. And it's interesting because if you ask questions and you get the other person talking about them, what will happen is in a matter of time, sometimes short, sometimes a little bit longer, depending on the person you're talking to, they will feel like they you genuinely care about them and they will trust you. Think about a time, anybody watching this, think about a time when you talk to somebody, which is feels really rare, even more rare, you know, as, as, as the years go on where you're talking to them, they're asking you questions. They, they deflect anything about themselves. They just want to know about you, maybe where you went to school, the jobs you had, like everything and anything about you. Then fast forward like five, 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes in that conversation. You're like, this was amazing. I felt so good. Like no one ever asked me about me. Like nobody ever cares. Like people just waiting to talk about themselves as soon as like I take a breath, which is what we mostly experience. So if you give that active listening with open and, and curious intent and you care about somebody, that will rock their world. And there will they will feel like you care. They will trust you. And then what the guidance you give them from there will have a different kind of uh, frame in their mind. Love it. What, one of the things that um, I've learned over years to, to, to kind of build that report and trust was to, to um, read between the lines and uh, understand their fears mm -hmm. and address the fears as they bring it up or maybe, maybe even sometimes before they bring it up. What is your take yeah. on that? I think I think that's when sales becomes pro level. Like when you become really skilled at sales is when you can do exactly that. Here's, here's what I tell everybody in, in sales, especially when they start out, either in sales in general or in a new role at a new company with a new product, right? So there's a lot of new stuff going on, is the moment you no longer have to think about what you're gonna say next, when you're having a conversation with somebody, right, in the questions, not the scripted part, but like when you're having the conversational parts of it, when you no longer have to think about what you're going to say next, and you can actually just listen and then pick up on everything, that's the moment you'll be a sales professional and, and close a lot more business because you're picking up on things. You're listening for things. It's not about you. You don't care about you. You're listening. Like I, I know I have a special skill because I've realized it that maybe others don't, but I can hear those gaps where you're talking about when somebody's hesitating or when somebody says something and their tone is a little off. Like I can pick up on the stuff that they're not saying. They, they are saying what they really mean, like, and then curious and ask questions about it. The yeah. more you can do that, when you get to that point, then sales is totally different. Then it's, I, I won't say it's easy because it's always, you know, has its rejection as challenges, but then it becomes a totally different thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, Jason, you've, uh, you went to school for mar marine biology, basically. Yeah. Yep. Um, was there anything that you learned uh, in the marine world that maybe helped you in your sales career? Um, 
You know, I, I, I think the biggest thing for myself and others that go to college and then think they want to go one way and then literally just go a completely different way is, you know, and where I tried to ascribe the, the value to those, to those years and that investment is finishing what I start, right? Like is, is if you're going to do something and commit to it and then go after it and then, you know, do that. I, I think for me also just being an analytical guy by default and being more of a scientific minded person, math and, and science, I look at things and it's like, all right, well, let's test this and try this. Right. And then let's make it repeatable as an experiment for as long as we can. Right. So it goes back to the scripts and the processes. What I want to do is I want to give you a script and I want you to use a script. I know it works now use it. If it stops working, let's iterate and let's test a new one, but let's do that enough times to make sure let's not try something different. Every single yeah. phone call because we'll never know. It's like trying to bake a cake without a recipe and you're just throwing different stuff together every single time you make a cake and it works once, but you have no idea why it worked because you didn't have a recipe written down and it's like, okay, now what? And so many people in sales do that. They're just throwing crap into a bowl over and over again and they're hoping a cake pops out that everyone's going to like. And they they don't know why. Yeah, 100%. So I basically taught you systems and processes and... Do, do you get curious about people's nature and I, and I do and I, I do now. So what was interesting, and this is where like I reference this in the book when I talk about the the five sales success traits uh, that I think are absolutely critical for anyone to be successful in sales and potentially in life uh, as far as you want to extrapolate um, is that I wasn't when I was a kid, again, just I didn't have a terrible childhood. I didn't have a bad one relative to other people. It was a good childhood. Like nothing terrible happened to me. I just didn't do well with people. I didn't have friends. I didn't fit in. Like so many things happened where it was just like, I maybe had one or two friends at the time and that was it. Like my bubble was really small. I wasn't curious about people. Wasn't a fan of people, right? Like I'm also, I'm an only child. I'm also a Scorpio. I'm happy just staying in my room all day, every day. Like I'm good with or without people. A lot of people think I'm an extrovert and it's like, I'm an ambivert that tends to just be totally cool with being by myself. And so it wasn't until I started really getting into sales and really having conversations with people that I then started to become really curious about people. I think there was a big shift in that, even my personal relationships, just actually being curious about people and what makes them tick and why they do what they do and myself, what makes me tick and just being yeah. curious about people all the time. And I think like I made myself into that and that was something I worked on that I think is valuable, obviously in sales. Love it. So you talked about your book. You mentioned it a few times. Tell us about your book. What is this book that you refer to. So it's called selling with authentic persuasion, transform from order taker to quota breaker. And again, it's kind of taking this, what we've been talking about so far and laid it out in, in that order, right? A lot of people come to me and they're like, just tell me what to say. How do I close more deals? How do I ask for the sale? How do I do this? And that's like the persuasion, the tactics, the strategies of the sale part. But first we got to work on the authenticity piece. Who are you? What makes you, you, what are your strengths? Do you have those sales success traits? And if not, how can you build on them? What do you want? What would you put on a vision board to help motivate you? Like what's that intrinsic motivation, not the carrot or the stick? And then we can talk about the persuasion and the strategies. And then the final part of the book is called the intangibles, which is all of the little things when one professional is battling another professional, let's say basketball, like I'm a big basketball fan, the intangibles are the things that don't show up on the stats that one team will do better in that moment. And that tips the scales, right? It's the hustle yeah. plays. It's the, it's the, it's the, you know, chasing after a ball. And so those intangibles and sales can make the difference against your professional opponent. Your professional opponent is that scared part of your, your customer's mind. And so you've got to know how to tip the scales in your favor. What are some examples of those intangibles uh, in sales? So one of the things, and I see this a lot, this is one of the biggest tells, like if this was poker, uh, it's one of the biggest tells for order takers is they pause at the wrong time. So one of the things that happens is like, let's say I'm talking and I'm, I'm asking you some things, right? Like I need to get your banking information so we can set up your payment, Mustafa. And then things are getting real. You're freaking out, right? You're worried about things. And then you say, hey, wait a second. 
how will this affect my credit? Let's say it's something consumer related. And then most salespeople then go on a monologue about all kinds of stuff and throw out lots of crap. And then what happens is they pause. And they say this, 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 and this, and then they pause. And I call it the death pause because what happens in that moment, you, the scared consumer, you're afraid, right? You're in your, your, your comfort zone. You're now thinking of more things to be afraid of, or your mind is just racing and it wants to throw more things. So what happens? You throw another objection, question, or concern at me. Then I have to battle that. Then I pause because I'm trying to be nice and respectful and give you time to think about it, but I'm leaving this gap, which just means you're just going to keep punching me over and over again. And either I'm really good at taking punches and I can withstand them, or you're just going to knock me out because you're going to find something that triggers you to run away screaming uh, in your mind. And so that's one of the biggest things. Again, I call it the death pause. And so you have to identify if you're doing that. And then use some of the tools and strategies that I teach people to do to eliminate that, to fill in that gap with something else, returning to where you were at, asking questions, things like that. Um, so that's that's one of them. Um, the other one, and this is this is really important in the intangibles, a lot of people focus on sales and they move deals forward and then they don't really care what happens because they're just looking in the moment in the sales. But what about cancellations? What about buyer's remorse? Things like that. How much expe expectations should you set with people so that when they wake up at two o'clock in the morning tomorrow, which you just have to assume everyone, no matter what, business to consumer or business to business, it doesn't matter. They're going to panic. Their mind is going to race and think, did I make a mistake? And what happens is you have to give them enough ammunition and info in advance so that when that happens, they feel okay, that they don't panic and try to cancel or refund. But you also have to be careful not to give too much because then you'll just shoot yourself in the foot. Love it. So, and then do you share the solution to this death pause issue in your book? <laughs> yeah, I, I have it in there. And then I know that one of the things that we have to, uh, to give to listeners is, uh, my ebook. So in my overcoming objections ebook, I actually talk about it in more detail in there because, uh, I kind of lay out more of the thought process and then, you know, give the, the tools and, and longer examples in that that's also in the book. And the, the last thing, like another one that's in there, uh, as far as intangibles go, that's so important. I think for anyone in sales is the power of saying no, like when somebody's not a good fit, when you can't help them, make sure that you tell them, no, come from a place of abundance. Don't try to squ fit square pegs and round holes because it's not going to work. It's not going to be effective. They're not going to be happy clients. And then when you tell people no, when you tell someone yes, you know that you mean it because I wouldn't tell you yes if I didn't know that you needed it, right? And if I tell the wrong people no and I tell you yes, I can stand by that. Absolutely. Oliver says buyer's remorse, the worst part of past sales. Post that's, that's it, right? Like, and, and, uh, my, my very good friend, Mr. Oliver cat, and he and I used to do a podcast called call center confidence with cutter and cat, which was fun. Um, but I mean, that's so, I think the key is, is so many salespeople think the sale stops. Obviously, if you're a business owner, solopreneur, anything like that, where you actually care about the long-term client, you know that, but the sale never stops The I, 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 and again, a lot of people could debate this. I personally think the easiest part of the sale is getting someone to say yes and then move forward with the transaction. I think it's significantly harder because you have to play the long game, keeping someone outside of their comfort zone and reminding them why they're accepting danger and risk and the unknown every single moment of their life moving forward until it's just natural. Like the post-sale sale, so much more challenging. And it's usually in the hands of people who aren't salespeople, customer service, uh, implementation, account managers, maybe even the owner. And you have to, you keep people going. So that buyer's remorse, again, it's, it's so difficult. And it's where people just, they, they don't want to think it happens. Yet as consumers, we all have that, right? Like we all buy things of significance and we're just like, damn it, why did I do that? And then you have to remind yourself why. Love it. What are some of your tips or tactics to reduce or eliminate that buyer's remorse? 
Um, I think the biggest thing is acknowledging it, that it's going to happen in your mind, right? Stop thinking the sale ends right now and I don't care. Unless you sell something where as soon as they walk out of your store or off your lot or you get done with a phone call, you literally don't care what happens to them and what they do with your product. If so, I'm not talking to you, right? Um, I'm talking to people who do a consultative sale or and a, uh, a considered purchase of something where actually being a successful customer actually matters, right? Um, and so the first thing is understanding that buyer's remorse is going to happen. We're all human. Again, this is why I say it's H to H. It's human to human. We, we are all those customers where you buy a car, the next day you're like, oh, shoot, what did I do, right? And like, you've got to remind yourself about that. And so the first step is that. The second part is acknowledge it. I always talk about that with my potential customers before the sale is done or when the sale is done and we're moving into the next phase is I know Mustafa what's going to happen. I've done this for so long, two o'clock in the morning, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, next week on Tuesday, some point it's going to hit you. Your mind is going to go, Oh my gosh, what did I do? And why did I sign up for this? And here's the thing I want you to understand and remember Mustafa is what we talked about X, Y, and Z, why you wanted it. And that's the big key is if you're in sales, and you don't know why somebody wants or needs what you're selling, then you're an order taker. And sometimes that just happens. But fundamentally, you have to know that because then you have to remind that person of why they wanted it, right? When somebody joins the gym and then they're like, oh, this gym sucks and going is so hard, you people will remind them, remember what you wanted, remember what your goal was, remember you wanted to get in shape or lose weight or you know get ready for your wedding or whatever it was, right? Like there's some why and big thing attached to it that then overcomes that regret or that barrier. And so salespeople, you have to know that why and then bring that up and then call it out and then tell them. Because here's the big thing is Mustafa, when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning tomorrow and what I told you is going to happen exactly happens. And then you think about what I told you to exactly think about. And then you feel better. You'll be like, oh my gosh, he was right. And he told me this. Now I trust him even more because it's like he's in my head. And obviously he knows what I'm going to feel like and think about and do. And so I can feel better. Right. And so game changer. And most salespeople, they just want to put their head in the sand, swipe, swipe that credit card, put their head in the sand and hope that person loses their phone number. I've been there, you know, <laughs> so we all I have, that, I, I, I hope that nothing goes wrong and then they're just going to move forward and they won't ever call me back. And I don't want to hear oh. ever from them again. Uh, yeah, we do that. Um, Jason, what's your take on objection handling? What is the best way to deal with objections? Cause one of the fears that people have is yeah. that objection piece of getting to know or hearing people coming up with all sorts of objections and I have nothing to say about it or like that death response that you you yeah. you talked about. What's the best way to tackle and prepare and handle objections? I mean, the first thing, which is in that Overcoming Objections ebook uh, in more detail, which I know you posted a link, which is great, is first you have to understand, is it a, an objection? Is it a question or is it a concern? Because a lot of times, let's say like I'm selling you something and it's a B2B SaaS platform. And then you're like, hmm, uh, I, I see you're, I need to sign a contract. I'm not sure if I'm okay with that. What is that? Is that an objection? Is that a question or is that a concern? Well, it's not an objection because I didn't say I'm not doing it. It's not a question, which is, do I have to sign? It was just a statement. It's just a concern. It's something rattling around in their head. The problem with salespeople is they hear that and they go into high alert attack mode and they think that was an objection they have to overcome and they attack it. And when you attack it and you 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 will give this air of being desperate or scared or worried yourself, animals sense fear, your prospect's going to sense that and it's going to freak them out. If you freak out, it's going to freak them out. If you've ever gone to a doctor and you've had an issue and then you, you, you ask your doctor a question and they start freaking out, I promise it would freak you out right? Like they have to stay calm. Otherwise you're going to lose it. And so you have to understand what those are. Now, sometimes they bring up a concern and you want to address it or talk about it. Sometimes you just ignore it. I'm not sure if this is going to be in my best interest. Okay, I'm just Okay. And then I'm just going to keep moving because I don't, I already know it's going to be in your best interest. And I know you're just afraid when it comes to actual uh, objections and how to handle that. The biggest thing first, answer it with the least amount of words, which is not what salespeople like to do. They use, they think, again, they think their job is to talk a lot or they get so nervous and freaked out 
they just start verbally vomiting all over the place, hoping something is either going to work or they're just going to confuse and distract the person enough to move them away from what they asked about so that they can just keep moving forward. I've seen them both. And so what happens is they just speak too much. If you say, do I need to sign a contract? Yes. Right. How long is the agreement for? 12 months. It, it, those are yes, no questions, right? Like if we went to the DMV and I asked them questions, those are yes, no questions. And so if you're enrolling somebody into something, it should be yes, no. Yeah. If they have an objection and an actual issue, what I always do, and I call it empathetic reversing, is I will ask them that. So again, if we're dealing with consumers and their credit and they're like, well, I, I don't want to do this because it might hurt my credit. And I'll say, well, you know, we talk about the credit and say, let me ask you, Mustafa, why is your credit important to you? You got to say it. I say empathetic reversing. So you don't sound like you're trying to like attack them and be confrontational because most people do. That. Well, Mustafa, what, what is it about your credit that, you know, is important to you? And it's like that will destroy you. But I want to know what is it about your credit? And you may say, oh, well, we're trying to buy a house next year and I want to make sure I don't do anything wrong. OK, and I can either respond to that and talk about the program and how it doesn't or maybe this isn't the right fit. I want to be curious and know what made that person ask that question. Now, here's the big thing, and everybody in sales, keep this in mind, is everybody is different that you're talking to, but objections and hardcore questions will come up when that prospect is afraid and things are getting real. Usually what happens is you're going through your process, having a conversation, asking questions, building rapport, using empathy, getting to the heart of where it matters, and then saying, all right, so ready to move forward. How do you want to pay for this? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's when it goes. Now they're freaking out, right? So usually you just pick up on, okay, why are they asking this? And why is it coming up now? And let's get to the heart of it and then move past it. If you just overcome it and then try to move forward or just throw out your standard response and move forward, they haven't forgotten. They're still thinking about it. And if they say yes today, I promise you will wake up tomorrow with a voicemail that says that they've canceled or an email that's saying they're canceled or they don't want to move forward. I love your, your, your thing about just answer the question and keep it short. Uh, and I've seen, and I'm guilty of this where someone says, how long is the program? And the answer is 12 months. And then we immediately follow that with some stupid response and say something like, but we could even, we could have been tried for three months. Do you want to try that? And the guy, the guy just wanted to answer to the 12 month answer. And we just ruined the whole thing with some dumb responses that we weren't supposed and, to. And, and that's why I said in the beginning, you've got to understand and be conscious and aware enough. Is this a objection, like a stop or else you fix this or I'm not moving forward? Is this just a question or is it a concern that needs nothing? If it's just a question like yours, how long is the term? It's 12 months, right? And no reason to rebut yourself, I call it, where you're like undermining yourself and throwing out of the term, just move forward. The other part, and I talk about this in the ebook is I want to ask you, I'm going to, so here's what happens. Things are getting real, right? Next part is I want to go over the contract with you. Whoa. How long is the contract for? The answer, the, the contract is for 12 months. So I'm going to send this to you and let's review it. Notice what I did there. I returned to my question. You rudely interrupted me. I was on a mission to help you. Your fears got the best of you. You raised your hand with a question. I answered it. Now we're moving forward like a teacher in class, right? Like just put your hand down, stop asking questions and let me do my job with you and help you. You want to do that. You don't want to do like your example, which happens all the time, but to all of us, which is, you know, going on and on and on. It's like, yeah, the contract's 12 months. So I'm going to send this to you and let's go through this together. No pause, no break. I'm moving forward. If it's an issue, you'll say this. You'll bring up another thing and you'll say, but I don't like signing contracts. I don't like doing it. And I'll say, okay, I totally get that. But let me ask you, why is it that you don't like signing contracts? Notice what I did there. Empathetically reversed it. I want to know why. Oh, I once signed up for something and I got totally burned and I couldn't reach them and I lost all my money and it totally sucked. Now I can address that from a trust standpoint. But now I get some details that if I just blabbed on, I wouldn't have known. Love it. Love it. You got me giving all the good stuff away, by the way. Yeah, that's what I do on the show. <laughs> but you're giving away like three of your books. So, yep. um, gang, by the way, if you're watching or listening, you go to jasoncutter.com forward slash ebook. That's J-A-S-O-N-C-O-T-T-E-R.com forward slash ebook. 
And I think if you just search Jason Cutter, um, it will come up. Well, and or just go to jasoncutter.com forward slash ebook and get access to three of his ebooks called A Sales Consultant's Guide. And um, he's sharing his knowledge and wisdom in there with you. Um, can I ask you some personal questions? Sure. You can try. I can try. Uh, <laughs> you can always ask. Yeah. And then you can ignore the question if you don't like it. Exactly. Um, I can have internet well, issues really easily. Yeah. Uh, well, I can't hear you. <laughs> uh, my office is going through a tunnel, Mustafa. Sorry, I can't hear you. Breaking yeah. up. Yeah. What's a um, new thing you have tried recently? Um, you know, a, a new thing for me, it's funny, it's a new old thing is. Uh, bicycling, uh, riding uh -huh. a bike. Um, I used to ride bikes all the time. Used to, I had a, I had a bike forever. Uh, starting from a kid, I used to do long distance rides, like 50 mile rides. Um, my mode in my brain has always been like, how quickly can I go for a ride? How quickly can I do these 20 miles? How quickly can I get from point A to point B? Like I'm not a journey guy. I'm a destination guy. And so how quickly can I do this? And so, um, I got a bike recently and what was fun is I got one of those beach cruisers, which is like really chill. It only has one gear. Uh, it has foot brakes. Like you have to pedal backwards for the brakes. So you're really not going to break any speed records. You're not going to go nuts on it. I'm not going off-roading. I'm in Florida. There's no mountains anyway. And so I was like, I intentionally want a cruising bicycle to slow myself down and just cruise and have the opposite of what my normal mode is. And it's so fun. We just go out and we're just cruising. And it's just like, wherever, where are we going to end up today? Who cares? Who knows? Love it. Love it. Love it. So yeah. Um, give me two of your favorite books. Oh man. So, and that's so tough. I, first off, Mustafa, I, let me, let me re-clarify. So it's not tough for you. No, no, no. A okay, book that has made a big impact in business or life. Maybe. Okay. The big so, yeah. Cause, cause I sell, like I recommend books. I, I dislike favorites of books and movies and TV shows. Cause it depends, right? Depends on what somebody's looking for. Um, the two biggest books that have made the biggest impact on me personally, mm -hmm. and then also professionally, the first one in order of when I discovered them was the e-myth revisited by Michael Gerber. Um, mm -hmm. I think it accurate and the e-myth is the entrepreneurial myth. If anyone's not familiar with it and it accurately describes why 80 some odd percent of small businesses fail in the first two years and why that happens. And I read that. And then that is the fundamental backbone and Bible of why I build scalable, repeatable systems for companies. Cause usually there's a founder who has an idea, they have a spasm, they start a company and they need everything else. And so the E-Myth Revisit is, is just huge as a fundamental. Um, and then the other one I will recommend, and I recommend to everybody, it's also my number one leadership book, if you need a favorite, is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, which is a hilarious conversation starter of a leadership book to recommend to managers. Um, but I think it's so important for personal relationships, for leadership relationships, for understanding other people. Sometimes just understanding that other people see the world differently than you do. And that's usually a shock enough to people because they think everyone sees it like they do and wants the same things they want. And it will blow your mind if you're not familiar with it. Love it. What advice made a, a big impact in your life or business? Um. <sighs> I think the biggest things is like, especially when it comes to, oh man, so tough with these top ones. Uh, so I'd say two things. One is don't rely on people to do what you think they're going to do. I think that's so huge. I think, you know, especially if you're in a leadership role, do what you role, think. Running a company, don't, do don't, what? don't do, don't expect people to do what you think they're going to do. Right. But you think um, they're, they're not, they're, they're going to do what they want to do, what's in their best interest. And you've also got to not expect people to do what you think is the right thing to do. For example, and this comes up all the time, you give a salesperson some leads, they call them once, they never call them again. You're like, wait, why didn't you do your follow up calls? 
instead of expecting that, build processes around it. Stop expecting humans with a limited willpower. We're all the same way. Like you put, you, you put some sweets, some ice cream, some gummy bears in front of me. I will turn into like zero willpower guy. Like I just, I won't stop myself. And so how do you build systems and processes to do the things that need to be done so that humans can do the things we still need them to do, which is be humans and have conversations and think about things. That's your number one goal is have the humans be the humans you want them to do. And so I think that's the, that's, that's the fundamental piece of advice. And then the other part, and this is the big key, is just what am I good at? What are my strengths? I had an owner I worked for years and years ago, and he said to me, he's like, you know what? You really love training. You love fixing things and you love building things. Once things start going smoothly, you get really bored and it's almost like you start breaking it so that you can fix it again. And he's like, I'm just going to have you build and fix and then move on. And that's what actually started me in consulting. I'm like, that's true. That's what I love to do. I don't want to run things. I just want to fix and build and help and train. And so you've got to figure out what your strengths are, what you want to do, what you're good at, and then try to put yourself in that position the most you can. Love it. If you had a Google or Facebook ad where everyone around the world with access to internet could see your message. What would your message be for the people of earth? I think that the biggest thing I would focus on is everyone realizing that they're here for a reason. They have their strengths and experiences and abilities and to focus on what they can do that makes them happy that's also of service to other people um it's either that or i would run an ad that says you know and this is a this is a line from actually a pastor uh at a church i heard this and it's so applicable is stop comparing your behind the scenes to everyone's highlight reels i think us as humans we've always done that probably evolutionary but like even it's it's even worse now with social media is we just look at what other people are posting or what they're doing or what they're driving or what they're buying at the store. And we just compare that to our own lives and usually the worst parts of our lives. And then anxiety, doubt, fears, all kinds of terrible things happen. Love it. This has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Um, is there anything that uh, you'd like to add before uh, we wrap up something we forgot to mention? No, I mean, I, I think we covered a lot. Obviously, you know, we could just keep going and ripping on it. I mean, I think the biggest thing is is for anybody in sales, and I'm thinking about like the kind of people you and I have talked about offline, uh, business owners, people who are leading teams, is just realizing like the problem isn't sales. The problem isn't urgency. It's how you approach it and what the mindset is. If you have something of value, if you have something that will leave people better off, and if they don't buy from you, they are potentially worse off, then you owe it to them to help them. And then that will shift the way you see sales. Uh, and then my own personal and professional thing is my goal is to help shift the way sales is done such that it's not a dirty word. And myself, self-centeredly, when I go out in the world and I want to buy something, I'm actually going to encounter a sales professional. And so I want to shift the world of sales so that let's say when I go buy my next car, I don't have to wonder, is this person going to play games or try to rip me off? I actually have an adult who's a professional and will try to help me. Um, and that's what I want. And that's on all of us because there's no one doing that for the industry. It's on all of us to sell with authentic persuasion. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, gang, if you're watching or listening, you want to get sales training and coaching uh, from a professional. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, we didn't mention this, but Jason's book is uh let's do the story in like real quick in a minute what's the story with your book being taught at a university <laughs> yeah so uh it was kind of an intention and then surprise when i wrote the book a few years ago it was never my goal i wrote it for business purposes i wrote it partially to dump everything out of my head and build a framework and to help with consulting and speaking and coaching um and then earlier this year i reached out to Dr. Sterling Bone at Utah State University as a result of learning that there's schools out there teaching sales, which I didn't think was possible. And I thought that was really odd. And then I realized it does work and it's really cool. And so I had a conversation with him, sent him my book earlier this year in uh, 2022. He called me over the summer and said, hey, I read your book over the summer. We need a textbook. Yours would be perfect. What would it take for you to, to send us 75 signed copies, do some guest lectures with the students and help build this out as our new curriculum every fall? And uh, so that's been quite amazing. Uh, last week, I went and surprised them in person for the final guest lecture. And to think that there's 75 people 
not all of them are going in sales. Some of them are marketing. Some of them will have other career paths in life, kind of like I did. But to think that there's 75 people who read the book and then participated in the class, and that will shape the way they're either salespeople or consumers and what they want in the world. Um, it's just amazing. It's a, it's an amazing feeling and thought of like doing that instead of trying to change people who've been in sales forever and getting them to change, like, you know, change, help the, the future generation see sales as something different. Love it. Love it. That's amazing. Gang Gap. So go to the link uh, in the descriptions of the show or in the comments on whichever channel you're watching. Get access to Jason and his knowledge and wisdom. If you're watching or listening, make sure you like and subscribe to whichever channel you're watching. Make sure you review the show. And if you have any comments or questions or feedback for J Jason and I, put it in a comment, send us an email, and we'll make sure that we will cover it. One announcement that I'm going to make here before we wrap up is we are renaming and rebranding the show uh, in the new year. It's coming. Uh, and so um, that is uh, the, so we're taking a new direction and doing all the good things. And uh, I'm excited about that. So you've been uh, listening to daily confidence for entrepreneurs. Uh, my name is Mustafa Hosseini with my guest, Jason Cutter. Uh, thank you for joining us. And again, if you have any questions, put them in the comments and we'll get back to you. Have yourself a great week. Enjoy your holiday season and we will see you next week. Bye now.